I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simi, and we're back with another edition of the Press Review after a couple of days off. Now, I had a lot of messages uh, from people saying, what's happened to the podcast? What's happened to the show? Uh, nothing. I just took a couple of days off. Um, as you might have seen on social media, I had my little girls christening at the weekend. That was on Sunday. That took up quite a bit of my time over the weekend. And then, of course, on Monday, I was recovering because now at the tender age of 31 years old, I can no longer uh, handle my drinking the way I used to. So I was a little bit lethargic, struggling a little bit on the Monday um, and had various other bits of work that I needed to get done. Um, so just, yeah, just took a few days away from the podcast. But sometimes it's needed. Sometimes it's necessary. We've been going uh, at full tilt throughout the course of last season. We're going to be going at full tilt throughout the duration of the summer as well, keeping you guys across all the latest transfer talk with regards to the Arsenal. So I felt like I needed a couple of days to just chill, to just unwind, to just recover from a really, really busy weekend and then just get some of my ducks in order ahead of the summer. And I've done that now. So we are back and I promise you there will be no more disappearances from me. Lots of you in the live chat box. Hope you're all well. Uh, big hello to Tamina, uh, who joins us. A big hello to Derek, who asks a very, very interesting question. Derek, I'm going to ask you to just hold fire on that, and we'll come to it a little bit later on in the show. Uh, big hello to Richard, uh, to Martin, who says, hit the like on the way in, people. Yes, please, please do. Big hello to Chrissy, uh, to Steve, to Troy, uh, to James, to Antoine, who says, Harry, you're five minutes late, 100 quid off your wages. If only I got 100 quid for one of these episodes, uh, then I wouldn't mind you docking me this just uh, just this once. Uh, Matt says, look who the cat's dragged in. I know I've been away for a couple of days, mate, but it ain't been that long. My God. Big hello to um, Trevor and to Bismarck Ops, who says, hi, Harry, long time. Right. I hope you're all good. I hope you're all well. Um, I want to start off today's show by uh, just sort of, you know, mentioning the fact that it's three years to the day since the sad passing of former Arsenal man Jose Antonio Reyes. Um, started to watch some of the videos uh, around Reyes that were sort of doing the rounds on social media today. And I'm not going to lie, I got a little bit emotional. I, I always do with the Reyes thing because for somebody who wasn't at the club for very long, and he, and he wasn't at the club for a very, very long time, he still did enough in that time for me and showed enough to really kind of earn a place in sort of my affections as an Arsenal supporter. At that time, I remember genuinely thinking and feeling that he was my favourite player. Like we had so many superstars at that point, but there was just something magical about Jose Antonio Reyes, the way he used to pick the ball and run at people, the way he used to dribble past people with ease, that wonderful left foot he had from which he could find the top corner, the bottom corner. He was just a really superb player. And actually... When he left Arsenal, I remember thinking, this is a guy who, and he did go on and have a very good career after us. Of course, he went to Real Madrid and he returned eventually to Sevilla where he won European Cups. But I just always remember thinking that Jose Antonio Reyes could have achieved so much more at Arsenal. And I've spoken in the past about the reasons why I think maybe that didn't happen. And it's quite an unpopular view. I think that there was a few players in that group that, and in particular, Thierry Henry, that he didn't quite gel with, I didn't think. I know that there's pictures and there's images of the two of them kind of sort of, um, you know, putting their arms around each other after a goal celebration or whatever. But I felt like, although Thierry Henry was great and, and you don't want him to move over for anybody, because at that time in particular, he was probably the best player in the world. There was something that just felt like it was it was blocking Reyes for me. And, and it felt like... the. I don't know, the, the club, the team wasn't big enough for the both of them, if that makes sense. And I think it did kind of hinder Reyes, not just Thierry Henry, but some of the other players around him as well. And I, I never really felt that we were ever able to make Jose Antonio Reyes the focal point and the centrepiece like he deserved to be. And obviously he moved on and, and obviously he went back to Real Madrid, uh, back to Spain with Real Madrid and obviously eventually ended up at Seville where he started and, and where he joined us from. And 
and had a, a really, really good time there. And and he was just, for me, he was one of those players that every time he got the ball, you got off your seat. You know, you, you knew, you could hear that, you know, that sound you used to hear at Highbury when everybody used to get off their chair and the chairs would like fold back into place automatically. That noise was like synonymous for me with Jose Antonio Reyes because every time he got the ball in a dangerous area in the opponent's half, you, you instantly got up because you knew that something magical um, could could be about to happen. And, and just what a superb player. And I still remember three years ago when we heard the news, um, you know, he, that he had passed away, how I felt that day. And really, really sad because, as I say, although you wouldn't put him in the bracket of an Arsenal legend because of the fact that he didn't stay at the club very, very long and because of the fact that, you know, you could argue that maybe, I don't want to say he underachieved, but you could argue that he didn't, hit the heights that we knew he was capable of for a long enough period of time. He's still somebody that I I was really sort of passionate about, somebody that really did sort of capture my imagination as an Arsenal fan and somebody that I'll always hold in very, very high esteem and, and the age at which he passed away. I mean, that's no age to go, is it? It, it just isn't. And um, whatever way you look at it, it's sad. It's a tragedy. And um, I think it's important for... Arsenal fans, and I know there are a lot of Arsenal fans that watch this and listen to this that are probably a little bit too young to remember Jose Antonio Reyes in an Arsenal shirt. If you don't remember, I urge you to go back. You can find the clips on YouTube, I'm sure, and just have a look at some of the moments that he brought us, particularly at Highbury. I mean, sensational player, sensational footballer. And I just wanted to pay a little tribute to Jose Antonio Reyes at the start of this show. Uh, because, of course, today marks the three-year anniversary of his sad and tragic passing. On a more positive note, we're going to talk uh, about a number of players today. Now, I recognise that we've been away for a few days, so there's plenty to catch up on. We're also going to do a lengthy Q&A bit towards the back end of the show. But we're going to focus today on Serge Gnabry being linked with a move back to Arsenal. We're going to be talking about Arsenal's interest in Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Yuri Tielemans, um, and the interest that still exists in him and the fact that a couple of other clubs, uh, according to Fabrizio Romano, have now entered the race. We're going to be talking about Marseille's intentions with regards to William Saliba. We'll be talking a little bit about our pursuit of a left-back, uh, a Premier League or an ex-Premier League goalkeeper who's declared his interest in joining Arsenal Football Club. And we're going to be talking a little bit about Mesut Ozil's situation at Fenerbahce. Same old story. Uh, regarding Mesut Ozil. So lots and lots to get into because, as I say, we've been away for a couple of days. Um, so, yeah, let's um, let's jump straight into it. In fact, let's start with the Serge Gnabry bit. Now, over the last few days, we've read and heard multiple reports that Serge Gnabry is on his way out of Bayern Munich, that he doesn't want to sign a contract, that Bayern Munich have set an asking price for the player. Now, all of us kind of looked at Serge Gnabry over the last few years and went, wow, we made a massive, massive mistake there. But let me take you back to how things looked and how things felt at the time, because it was one of those where at the time, a lot of people went, well, maybe he's not going to make it at Arsenal. So let's let him go. And remember, he didn't go directly from Arsenal to Bayern Munich. He returned to Germany at first, impressed in the Bundesliga. Um, and I'm just trying to bring up exactly what the details of that deal were that took Serge Gnabry uh, away from Arsenal. Uh, let me have a look. Bear with me a second. It was a deal to Werder Bremen for four and a half million pounds. So if you cast your mind back, Serge Gnabry sort of broke into the Arsenal team and, and really did make a good impression. I felt I remember watching him at the time and thinking this lad has got it. This lad is brilliant. This lad is superb. And I can't wait to see more of him in the future. And then, of course, came the point where Arsene Wenger took the decision to loan him out. Now, I don't know how much of an influence Serge Gnabry had in that decision. Did he feel maybe that he wasn't getting enough game time, that he was at the point in his career where he needed to be playing more football? And did he push for it? Did he campaign for it? I don't really know is the honest truth to that. But he did end up joining West Bromwich Albion, And I think we could all see very, very quickly that that was the wrong fit. It was the wrong style of football. It was the wrong club. It was the wrong profile of team. And he just wasn't going to fit in there. And he ended up going there um, on loan on the 7th of August, 2015. And by February, 2016, the loan had ended. 
Um, it, it wasn't working out. I, I think if I recall, he picked up an injury at that point and the loan spell was cut short. And then, of course, in that summer, Arsenal decided to sell him to Werder Bremen. Now, he went to Werder Bremen in a deal, as I say, worth four and a half million pounds. Um, and then it was about a year after that that Bayern Munich came in and signed him from Werder Bremen for £7.2 million. And what a bargain that has turned out to be. What a bargain. Now, this is the thing. The Bundesliga, obviously, financially is a is a very different place. The landscape is very, very different. And Bayern Munich have that ability, don't they, to be able to go into clubs, turn the heads of their star players and normally do deals that are quite reasonable in terms of the funds. And so when I say that, you know, I'm not surprised that Bayern Munich managed to get him for that type of money. But what was it exactly that led Bayern Munich to thinking this is a guy that, you know, is is the one for us? Well, when he went to Werder Bremen, he played 27 times, scoring 11 goals and providing two assists. So 13 goal contributions in 27 games. Now, that's good, but it's not like, wow. But clearly Bayern Munich identified from way before he ended up at Werder Bremen that this guy had a lot of talent, had a lot of ability. And credit to Bayern Munich for taking, okay, a low-risk punt on Serge Gnabry, but bringing him to a big club where he could flourish. And my word, has he flourished at Bayern Munich. 171 appearances so far for the Bundesliga side. 64 goals and 40 assists. That's 104 direct goal contributions in 171 games for Serge Gnabry. And he predominantly plays from that right-hand side. We do know, though, that Serge Gnabry is pretty comfortable playing from the left as well. And we do know that he can play in an attacking midfield position, that he can go into a kind of false nine type role if necessary as well. And the reason why this idea of bringing Serge Gnabry back appeals to me, perhaps more than anything, is, is the fact that, okay, he's talented, but he's also just 26 years of age. Now, we've talked a lot about the type of profile and player that Arsenal are looking at at the moment. And we talk often about the fact that it needs to be someone who's young enough to still improve and still develop and still hold sell-on value. It's got to be somebody who can grow with the rest of the team. But we have come to the point now, and I think Edu kind of pre-prepared us, if you like, for this phase and this stage in the process at the start of the season where we need to buy ready-made players, players who are ready to come in and impact now. And Serge Gnabry has been there, done it, okay? He's gone to Bayern Munich. He's won uh, a Champions League. He's won four Bundesliga titles. He's won the FIFA Club World Cup, the UEFA Super Cup, two German Cups. Uh, of course, won a couple of FA Cups with the Gunners as well back in the day. He is somebody who's been there and done it, but he's still young enough to offer a lot for quite a long period of time. And you might think the first thought that comes to your mind may well be, well, he predominantly plays on the right and Bukayo Saka plays there. We've got to be able to effectively backfill that position. We've got to be able to effectively take Bukayo Saka out of the team from time to time to give him the respite and the breathers that he needs um, and, and not downgrading quality too much. And I think we can all agree right now that Nicolas Pepe is not the guy that's going to come in and replace Bukayo Saka and give us all the same things. He just isn't. Serge Gnabry gives you the outputs as well, more so than Bukayo Saka, because he's at a further stage in his development and in his career. There's no reason why Gnabry can't play from the left-hand side. There's no reason why we can't rotate those two positions between Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli and Serge Gnabry if we could get him. We all think that there's a chance and a possibility that Nicolas Pepe leaves the club this summer, in which case we do need another wide man. And I'd be so up for this signing if we could make it happen. Now, this boy genuinely loves Arsenal. And I can tell you that for a fact. Now, why can I tell you that? Because in my previous life as a banker, um, you know, and obviously I won't share any details, but Serge Gnabry was, was a client of ours. And I remember meeting Serge Gnabry when he first arrived at the club um, and when he was first kind of setting up his life in London and having two or three long, extensive chats with the young man that was Serge Gnabry. And this was a very modest young man who didn't actually understand what an incredible talent he was at that time. He was very humble in the way he spoke about himself. He was very down 
to earth. And obviously, as, as his career developed and as he um, pushed on and, and got better and better, he obviously grew in confidence, as you would. But this was someone who was so, so grateful to be at Arsenal um, and, and so, so grateful to represent this huge club. I think the way he left probably hurt him a little bit. I think the way he was kind of pushed to one side by Arsenal at the time and, and almost forced to go on loan due to a lack of trust, maybe at that particular point in him, um, was was probably something that was difficult to take. But I don't think that Serge Gnabry, despite going and playing for a number of other clubs, has ever felt at home at a football club the way he did at Arsenal since then. He, he doesn't feel that at Bayern Munich, clearly, right? His current contract with the club um, is due to expire at the end of uh, June 2023. So he'd be going into his last year of contract. And therefore, you can understand why Bayern Munich will be like, well, if you're not going to uh, sign a new deal, then we're actually probably quite happy to to think about what is a reasonable transfer fee and, and to let you leave. So I think that this is a, an opportunity that we should try and take advantage of. And I keep saying this, right, because what Arsenal need to do is continue with the plan, continue with the focus, continue with the ideology of building this young, strong team that you hope are going to grow and develop together to the point where we can compete for the game's biggest honours and for the game's biggest prizes. But at the same time, as a football club who don't have sugar daddy owners, who don't have an owner who is going to say, here is £200 million every single summer, who's going to give you fees like £100 million to spend on single players. You need to be ready as a football club to pounce on opportunities that come your way. Tottenham have already done that this summer. Tottenham have already shown us that they have identified an opportunity in Ivan Perisic, somebody who fits into Antonio Conte's system, who knows the manager well, who clearly feels that he can offer something to the club. And they've gone out there and they've done it. They've made it happen quickly because they were in a position right now. I know it's different because that's a free transfer. And all that needed to be ironed out was wages, salary, terms, but perhaps... Um, you know, the, the, there was a signing on fee thing in there as well. Maybe that uh, was a factor in it as well. I, I don't know the ins and outs, I've got to be honest. But what I'm trying to say is Serge Gnabry may not have been somebody that Mikel Arteta identified 12, 18 months ago as a, as a potential signing. But that's probably because he didn't think that he'd be available. He is available. And he is somebody that could add so, so much to this team and could add another dimension to this forward line, as well as a real increase in outputs, which is something that we're desperate for at the moment. So you've got to be ready and you've got to be prepared that in football, opportunities will, will, will present themselves, opportunities will come up. And if you think that that opportunity is too good to miss, you've got to be able to take it. You've got to be able to get it done and make it happen. And when you think about it now, you know, I've heard some people talk about Serge Gnabry as somebody who's dropped off this season. Well, 14 goals in 34 Bundesliga appearances from wide isn't somebody that's dropped off to me. Six assists. If you look at his Champions League record, three goals and an assist in eight games. He's got two assists in the DFB Pokal. And of course, he got an assist in the DFL Super Cup. So if you think about that, right, this is a player who has dropped off, okay, according to people. Now, I just want to compare that with Bukayo Saka's stats, not to have a go at Bukayo Saka, but to make the point that we're talking about Nag uh, Gnabry. I, always, I still go to say Nabry. He, that's how I used to say it. And, and obviously we've since been corrected. But we talk about him as being somebody on the way down, right? Somebody on the way down who's managed 14 league goals in 34 appearances. But with Bukayo Saka, we're talking about somebody who's absolutely amazing with 11 league goals in 38 appearances. So again, not wishing to have a go at Bukayo Saka, but there's levels to this, right? And Serge Gnabry has been at that level for longer and is at that level currently where I think he can make that difference. Now, that doesn't mean he comes in and he replaces Bukayo Saka. There's no reason why they can't play on one flank each. There's no reason why that position, as I keep saying, can't be rotated between Martinelli, Smith-Rowe, Saka, uh, Gnabry. But this is an opportunity that I am desperate to see Arsenal try and take advantage of. Now, 
Will there be other clubs in for Serge Gnabry? I'm sure there will be because he's been that good in recent seasons and he's really made people sort of stand up and take notice of his progress. So I don't expect it to be a free run. But as I say, this is a lad and a boy that genuinely, genuinely has a affiliation with Arsenal Football Club. Let's try and use that. Let's try and build on that. Let's try and take advantage of the fact that that connection is already there and try and convince him that this is the place for him. You can do that. Then the challenge comes up. Can you convince Bayern Munich to part ways with him? I think, given his contract situation, we can. I think that, given his contract situation, Bayern Munich will probably be quite happy to come to the table. And I think that if the player pushes for it as well, there's no reason why Emirates Stadium can't be his next destination. It's, uh, you know, it's easy to say it, obviously. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's something worthwhile pursuing. Some of you asking sort of what's the, the price tag. Um, we read some some sort of contradicting reports the other day. I read 35 mil. I read 40 mil. I've read 45 mil as well. Um, I think around the £30 million mark, given his contract situation and given that Bundesliga clubs don't tend to sell for huge chunks of money, just sort of generally speaking, I think that there's a good chance you could get this deal done for around about £30 million. Would he want a hefty wage? I'm sure he would, but he's worth it. And if you want to compete at the top and if you want to compete with the elite, then you have to be prepared to pay those wages and those salaries. And this comes back to what I kept saying throughout the season when people were very critical of me saying, oh, you know, why do we need to clear the decks now? Why have we done this? Well, it's to be in the position where we can do things if we choose to like this, right? Because had we still had Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang stinking out the place, had we still had Sarah Kolasinac, you know, on, you know, 100K a week in the back end of last season, where we were forking that out, had we still had a number of these players that Mikel Arteta has, and the club have decided to, to move on and get rid of, we would still be a step behind in terms of where we want to be going into this summer. And to clear the decks ahead of time means and meant that we could that we could get to this place where going into the summer, we would be in a position to take advantage of some of this stuff and take advantage of some of these situations that are going to arise throughout the transfer window across Europe. That's why it was important that we done that stuff up front. Now, you and I will probably feel a little bit disappointed and even still now that the dust has settled a little bit, that Arsenal didn't manage to get into the Champions League and there will always be that sense of regret. Could we have done it if we had gone out in January and added to the side in, in a number of key areas? Maybe, but it's become abundantly clear in the weeks prior, uh, in the weeks post sorry, the end of the season, that Arsenal's objective and Arsenal's ambition within the club was to get back into the Europa League. And we've done that. So if you're in the club, if you're you're in the director's box and you're sitting there and you're ticking off your objectives against how you got on this season, there'll be a tick next to getting back into the Europa League. There'll be a tick next to clearing the decks. And as far as they're concerned, a good job has been done. Now, obviously, that level of expectation changed. And, and and sort of it, it raised, didn't it? Sort of based on the fact that we were in the hunt for Champions League football. But this is where we're at. And, and I feel more confident in Arsenal going out this summer and doing the business that we need to do because of the fact that we managed to do that forward thinking or, or show that forward thinking and forward planning earlier in the season. So, yeah, you know, had we still been in a place where we're trying to deal with a Bamiang now or we're trying to deal with this player or that player, and, and trying to get these wages off our books and those wages off up, then I'd be like, well, now it's going to be an even slower process and we could miss the boat on a number of these uh, potential targets. So it, it needed to be done. It, it was done. And you'd hope that sort of that decision to not add in January wasn't made in vain. You, you, you will hope that Arsenal will show that they were right to do that based on the business they do. And I said it, you know, if... If we had to sacrifice the January window for a big summer, an important summer, then I was okay with that. If we don't have a big summer, if we don't go and bring in uh, the players that we think are going to take this team to the next level and help us move forward, then it would have been a waste of time. And then you can look back on it and say it was a bad decision. But I think you've got to give the club the opportunity to to show and highlight why they did what they did in January and what the benefits of doing that in January were going to mean for the summer. So, 
yeah, let's see. Anyway, let's move on. Um, I can see a lot of you are, are quite keen on the idea of Serge Gnabry uh, coming back. Let me just pick up a few of your comments. Sean Rene says Gnabry would be a brilliant signing. Pat says, can Gnabry play down the middle? I wouldn't say it's his best position um, and I wouldn't be signing him for that reason, but I don't think that um, he'd have too much of a problem sitting in there as, as a bit of a false nine or or just as a striker that can offer something in behind, which we don't currently have in or didn't have in Alexander Lacazette. Interesting as well, we still haven't heard anything really official from the club on the futures of Eddie and Lacazette. Now, there was rumours and reports that Eddie had been offered a new five-year deal with a 100k per week salary attached to it. But we'll, we'll, we'll I'm sure, get more information on that in the coming weeks. But can Gnabry play down the middle? I think he can if push comes to shove, but it's not the position I would be signing him for. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Irish Silk says, please tell me why Gnabry is going to want to play in the Europa in a non-attacking team with a plastic manager. Wake up, people. Gnabry Lemons. Look, this is this is, this is is the thing, right? Why would he want to play in the Europa League? Well, you would join... A, if you join a club on the basis of a, you know, three, four-year agreement, you're doing it because you think over the duration of that of that time, you can achieve what you want to achieve with that football club. And Arsenal are definitely 100% based on what we saw last season, moving in the right direction. So Serge Gnabry may well be up for sacrificing one year in the Champions League. He's been there and done it. He's won it. He's won it. You know, this is not a guy with unfinished business in the Champions League. He will probably look at this and think, well, I can sacrifice one year out of the Champions League because I've won it. Most players won't win it in their career. To say we're a non-attacking team, I think, is 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 inaccurate. I think that very early on in Mikel Arteta's tenure, you could have levelled that criticism at Arsenal. I don't think you can anymore. To call Mikel Arteta a plastic manager is is exactly the type of baseless, you know, cheap insult that, for some reason, sections of our fans continue to throw at him. I, I don't understand why. I don't understand why you wouldn't support your manager, why you wouldn't support your club. You can have opinions on certain decisions that he's made. I do as well. Um, but I, I just think things like plastic manager, it's just it's just nonsense, isn't it? It's just, you're just jumping on a bandwagon. You know, it's, it's, it's just like being a Twitter troll. And I, I don't really understand this. Um, wake up people, Gnabry Lemons. I mean, we've signed massive players when we've not been in the Champions League. Thomas Partey joined the club, did he not? The same people that say that Serge Gnabry would never consider it would, were saying the same thing about Thomas Partey. And he made the move. Uh, M. Back says, a great signing, in my opinion, talking about Gnabry, but can't be certain of any consistency from playing Bundesliga with Bayern moving into this Arsenal squad. Um, I guess, though, the thing is that with, with Gnabry is, although his best days and his best moments have come in the Bundesliga and probably in the Champions League as well. He's obviously established himself as a fully-fledged German international as well. He scored 20 goals in 31 appearances for the German national side as well. He's not completely new to the Premier League. Like He he will understand and, and know what is required of him to be a success in this league. And that gives me some comfort, I guess. But obviously, I, I agree that there is obviously a risk. And I say this all the time, you know, there's always a risk of whether a player can translate form that was shown in a different competition into into the one that we compete in. Certainly something to worry about and, and think about, I guess. But I, I take a bit of encouragement from the fact that Gnabry is new. Um, uh, sorry, is not new, I beg your pardon, to the Premier League. And, and that should give him an indication of, of what's required and, and whether he's up for it or not, right, at the end of the day. Let's move on. Let's talk Dominic Calvert-Lewin, because according to uh, some of the latest reports, Arsenal remain interested in Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And I've got to be honest, um, I'm not really massive on this. Um, I have to say, I I've said it for quite some time that I'm not sure that he's the one we want. Uh, 25 years old, obviously, Everton had a really, really difficult season. Uh, last season, narrowly escaped relegation at the back end of the campaign. But Dominic Calvert-Lewin himself had a really difficult campaign as well. Injuries were a big problem uh, for the Sheffield-born striker. He only managed five Premier League goals last season, only managed 17 appearances. Um, and we've since heard as well 
that Dominic Calvert-Lewin has, has really, really struggled uh, with some sort of mental health issues throughout the course of the season. And I kind of feel a little bit bad at the fact that I was quite critical of him and, and his performances last season because clearly I wasn't aware of the stuff that Dominic Calvert-Lewin was going through on a personal level. And that, you know, that can be massive. You know, that, that can be huge. That can really knock the stuffing out of you and it can really take the wind out of your sails. So I'm not sort of wishing to to shit on Dominic Calvert-Lewin, if that makes sense. But to me, there are better options out there for what we're going to have to pay to get Dominic Calvert-Lewin out of Everton. Everton are not a club that are desperately in need of funds. They're not a club desperately in need of, of selling. Um, according to Transfer Market, he's worth £37.8 million. I'd imagine that given his importance over the past few seasons, maybe not in the last one, but in recent history, Everton will, will demand probably quite a bit more than that. And he's obviously been heavily linked with a move to Newcastle at the moment, who we know can afford it. Look, I just think with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, there's still elements to his game that I'm not quite sure about. I don't know that he is um, sophisticated enough in terms of some of his movements, in terms of his ability to drop into those deeper areas, which is something that's clearly a requirement for Mikel Arteta. I think he's a, a great box player. I think he's a great target to put balls into. But again, that's not really the way we play or want to play. Um, I think he gives you an incredible physical presence, which is something that we're clearly missing up front. So there are some positives to Dominic calvert And I also think he's a lot better in behind defences than people probably give him credit for. But I just to me, as I say, when you think about all the factors, so what does he have in terms of qualities? What are his shortcomings? What will he cost? Um, how likely it is that we'll be able to um, meet what Everton are asking or be willing to meet what Everton are asking in terms of a price. I think this is one that we should probably uh, steer clear of. And I can see in the chat that a fair few of you uh, agree as well. Um, moving on, Yuri Tielemann, somebody that we spoke about on one of our recent shows, uh, still being linked with a move to Arsenal and apparently is going to be available for around about £25 million, as we previously discussed. But the latest on that from Fabrizio Romano is that there are a number of other clubs now in the mix to sign Yuri Tielemans, as you'd expect, right? Anyone worth, uh, you know, worth looking at, worth pursuing at the age that Yuri Tielemans is at and, um, and, and available for what we believe to be a very, very reasonable price, he's going to attract attention. And, you know, now is where the club and the people leading the negotiations and Mikel Arteta have a huge role to play, you know, persuade him. Make him believe, make him see, make him feel that this is the right project for him and the right move for him. Um, I think it's really, really important that we we have that bit uh, of, of the negotiation process in order because that, for me, is is really, really important. Money, yes, of course, it's important. You've got to be competitive financially. But I think you also have to make people feel wanted. You also have to make people feel loved. And you have to make people feel important in within the environment that they're going to be operating in on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so, yeah, big fan uh, of Yuri Tielemans and the idea of signing him, particularly for that fee. If we were talking 60, 70 million pounds, I might be a little bit reluctant to say that we should go out and do this because of the season he's just had. And I know it's just a one-off season at this stage. But I do think, um, yeah, I, I did think that... Um, you know, twenty-five million pounds. This is this is one that you gotta. Again, comes back to the opportunities part I was talking about earlier. Opportunities like that present themselves. You've got to take them or be in a position to at least if you feel that's the right move. Uh, another quick bit on uh, a current Arsenal player who spent last season out on loan at Marseille, and that is William Saliba. Now, of course, Mikel Arteta says he has to come back, and I fully do at this moment in time. Expect him to return to Arsenal, compete for a place in the squad and fight for a place in that back line. But Marseille have been cleared, if they want to, to try and sign William Saliba by the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Now, they were handed a, a ban, a transfer ban, uh, not so long ago, but the Court of Arbitration for Sport has ruled that Marseille are OK to proceed with transfer activity, meaning that if they do want William Saliba and they do feel that that's something they can do, they are free to pursue it. Now, when you think about this, and, I, and I've said this before, okay, people don't like this. I've said it before. 
William Saliba has this huge cult following. And it's amazing when you consider that he's not played a competitive game for Arsenal. Do I think he's a good centre-back? Yes. Would I prefer for him to come back and be given an opportunity? Yes, because I think he's got a really, really high ceiling. Do I think he's perfect now? No. Uh, do I think he made a, a fair few mistakes last season? Yeah. Do I think that there are elements to his game that he needs to improve? Yes. Do I think that some of those shortcomings are going to be magnified and highlighted more in the Premier League? Yes, I do. But we're in a win-win situation with William Saliba now. And that's the bottom line. You know, we heard a couple of uh, days ago that the club, one of their priorities this summer was to potentially tie him down to a longer term contract. And I understand from a business perspective, the need or the want to do that. But just at this moment in time, when you think that we paid £27 million for this guy, we're in a position where we cannot possibly lose because we either bring him back, integrate him into the squad and have ourselves a very, very good centre-back, which you're not going to find very often for £27 million in today's market. Or we sell him for something in that region and we get all our money back. And by having sent him out on loan to Marseille last season, we've managed to salvage the player's value after a dreadful start to his Arsenal career in terms of just the way everything went, not in terms of on the pitch. Um, but, you know, we either make our money back and Mark, uh, Mikel Arteta in the club can go and reinvest that money on a player that they maybe feel is more suitable. So, I'd like to see him come back. I'd like to see him get an opportunity. But we we haven't lost anything on William Saliba. And when you looked at how that went, the first loan spell, the fact that he came back and was cast out in the cold, all of that, when you think about where that situation was, to salvage it to this point or to get it back to this point where we either make our money back or we have a great player on our hands is, is for me, you know, a win-win. I know people don't agree with that, but but that's fine. Gunner Deja Vu says, my guy said win-win. Unless we get an £80 million for him, it's not a win situation. Who on earth, who on God's green earth is going to pay £80 million for William Saliba today? Who? There is not a single club in world football that would pay £80 million or even close to that for William Saliba in his current form, in his current state. He's just not at that level. And if you think he is, I don't know what you've been watching all season. Like, has he got potential? Yes. Can he be an exciting prospect? Yes. Am I looking forward to hopefully seeing more of him? Of course. But he is not an £80 million centre-back. My word. My word. Um, Gunnar then, Deja Vu then goes on to say, you think it's unlikely that he'll go on to be worth that. I can't say that he'll go on to be worth that. JW says... 80 million for Saliba. Now that's delusional. Exactly. It's crazy. He's not Virgil van Dijk. He's not at that level. When when Virgil van Dijk was signed for what, what was it? 75 million pounds by Liverpool. I remember people at that time going, whoa, Virgil van Dijk, 75 million pounds. And Liverpool took a huge gamble on that and a huge risk. And it paid off. Brilliant for them. You know, we got to we got to see him sort of turn into this absolute beast of a player. And now you'd argue, given the impact he's had on Liverpool over the last few years, that he was worth every penny. Are we saying that William Saliba today is Virgil van Dijk levels? Because you're talking about a comparative price. Not a chance. Not a chance. Not today. Not today. You, Not a single person can guarantee that he will reach that level where he's an 80 million pound centre-back. You can't say that. It's a guess. It's a gamble. And unfortunately for us as fans, we can throw statements out like that and we can say things like that. And if they come off, great. You know, we're geniuses. We know what we're talking about. And if they don't, well, whatever. It wasn't our money that went down the drain. As a football club, you cannot afford to operate like that. You cannot be deluded enough into believing that a centre-back who had a good season for Marseille in the French Ligue 1 is all of a sudden worth £80 million based on that alone. You know, let's 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 see him in the Premier League for a season, then we can talk. Then we can make a, a more accurate uh, sort of, or, or come to a more accurate conclusion around what his le level is, what he could be worth someday. We can try and predict his trajectory then, but we're not in a position today. I'm sorry, 
to to say that William Saliba is an eighty million pound centre back. Therefore, unless we get that for him, we've lost out. That's 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 pure guesswork. And um, and as a football club, you have to take risks and you have to take gambles and you have to, you know, put your faith in certain people. But my God, you, you can't be running a business on that basis. Like you can't be running your football club on the basis of of making wild estimations like that uh tom says uh and thank you for the the kind donation mate really really uh do appreciate it he says i want saliba to come back and fight for a spot but if we sell him for 40 or 50 million then we're doing what chelsea have done very well for years that's the purpose of loaning players yeah th there's two purposes right one is they develop and they improve um sorry that's the sorry let me let me start that bit again with a loan First and foremost, it's about them going out, developing, playing football, putting themselves in the shop window and then either being somebody that you can sell on for good money and you benefit that way or somebody that can come into the side and, and give you something and has reached a higher level because of the experiences and the opportunities that they've been given. And, and as you say, you know, Chelsea are a prime example of this. They've sold, uh, sorry, sent players out on loan, um, you know, to to certain football clubs, allowed them to flourish, allowed them to become really key members and then been able to command big fees for them because of what they've shown. I mean, a good example of that right now is, is going to be Conor Gallagher, right? Chelsea are in a win-win position with Conor Gallagher. And this is what I was talking about with William Saliba. They've allowed a player to go out on loan to a lesser club, to flourish at that lesser club, to pick up lots of valuable experiences, to learn, to develop, and embed himself as a really, really important player in that club. Now, Chelsea are in the win-win situation now because they either go, Conor Gallagher, we want you back here and you've developed and you've improved and you've got to the level now where we think that you can come back and help us. Or they say to Crystal Palace, if you really want this boy, give us 40, 45 million pounds and you can have him. Either way, the clubs stand to benefit. And that's why the, the decision to loan William Saliba out, if he wasn't going to play at Arsenal, which has already been explained by Arteta and Edu, etc., etc., was the right decision because we now hold all the cards. We either sell him on, get our money, and go and invest it on someone that we think might be better suited to the team. And that's on the coach and on the club to decide whether that is the case. Or we bring him back we bring back a much better player than the one that we signed initially and we reintegrate him into the squad. So yeah, that's where I'm at on that. Uh, thank you, Tom. So, so much, mate, for your very, very kind donation. Really, really do appreciate it. Look, before we move on, I just want to quickly remind you guys that if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. Uh, there's over 300 of you with us live right now, but we've only got 70 likes on the board. There's no reason why we can't get that up to 150 A. SAP. So please do hit that like button. And of course, if you're new, subscribe to the channel. Let's quickly touch on Arsenal's pursuit of a left back. We've been linked with a number of players already this summer. Uh, but of course, uh, two of the names that are doing uh, the rounds at the moment are Aaron Hickey and Federico De Marco. Now, there's been a lot of talk about those two. And what I would say on this, I'm not going to go into it too much. What I would say on this is do go over to Tom Canton's Laguna Talk TV and check out the breakdown that he did on these two players. It's a really good piece of content, really a good eye-opener around these two players. Um, and if you want to know a little bit more about those two names, then I highly recommend you check that out. So make sure you do that. Uh, also, Ben Foster uh, supposedly wants to join the Arsenal. He'd be happy to come in as a backup. Uh, I don't know about this. I, I don't. I, I think that... We do need a bit of experience around the place because of uh, the fact that Aaron Ramsdale is still a little bit wet between the ears, in in uh, behind the ears, I beg your pardon, in some aspects. I think obviously he's had a lot of experience in terms of game time, relegations, disappointments um, and things like that that have shaped him as a character. But I do think sometimes he needs grounding a little bit. And I think that um, it would be uh, it would be a good idea to go out and bring in a, an experienced goalkeeper to kind of play second or third fiddle, depending on what your thoughts are on, on Matt Turner, who's obviously coming in um, and getting a, a bit of an understanding and an idea of um, of what it takes to kind of, you know, to, to win at the highest level, to succeed at the highest level. But Ben Foster's not that for me. 
you know, Ben Foster seems like a great crack. You know, he's uh, he's probably, as someone said in the chat, he probably wants to um, make podcasts with Aaron Ramsdale. Yeah, and I'm sure they can do that in their spare time as well. But I'm not too keen on this. I've got to be honest. Um, I just I, I think there are other experienced goalkeepers that you could go out and bring in who would add the same thing to Aaron Ramsdale. Um, and, and this is assuming that Bern Leno leaves. You know, he's been linked with a move uh, away to Benfica in particular. And we're going to have to see uh, what happens with that. But yeah, um, no, not for me. Not interested in this one. And the other thing um, I wanted to bring to you guys' attention before we jump into the Q&A is with regards to Mesut Ozil. Now, of course, uh, le- in fact, let me bring this up. Hold on. Uh, because he um, he put out a statement on Twitter um, talking about sort of his situation at the moment at Fenerbahce. Now, I was one of those people, I have to be honest, that at the time when we weren't playing him, at the beginning especially, was going, guys, like, you know, what are we doing here, man? Like, we haven't got any creativity in the side. And we've got this guy who's proven time and time again that he he can do that job. He can he can control games of football. He can un- unlock defences. He can open up teams. And we've just cast him out into the cold. And I felt like we probably needed as a football club to to put those differences to one side for the good of the team. And then you see him go elsewhere and then you see these problems arise again. And when that happens, you have to start to ask questions about the individual and about the player himself. And I don't think, um, you know, when you read this, you can have any more sort of uh, complaints or any more. I don't know. I, I think basically what I'm trying to say is I think when you look back on this, you could probably make the case that. Mikel Arteta and Arsenal were justified in taking the decision that they did. Um, Mesut Ozil obviously has been cast aside now by Fenerbahce. And he says uh, in a tweet today, uh, recently I've had to make a statement regarding the allegations made about my career. I had completed my career goal by signing a three and a half contract, uh, three and a half year contract, I beg your pardon, with Fenerbahce, my childhood love, without even getting paid for the six months. So, According to him, he wasn't getting paid. I'm pretty sure he was being paid by Arsenal. But anyway, um, he then says, I repeat with emphasis, I will not end my career with any other team than Fenerbahce. For the duration of my contract, my only goal is to sweat our Chubuklu jersey, which is, I think means uh, yellow and blue jersey. This decision is very clear and final. So Mesut Ozil digging his heels in. He is going nowhere. He then finishes it off by saying, as per the requirements of professional life, if our management takes a decision about me, I will only respect this attitude. I will work hard and always keep myself ready. As I always say, the main thing is Fenerbahce with my love and respect to the great Fenerbahce fans. I'd be lying if I said I know the ins and outs of this and I know categorically that Mesut Ozil is in the wrong, but this is the second football club now who have gone, there's something not right here and, and we don't like the way you're applying yourself and, and there's been some kind of fallout and there's been some kind of, um, you know, some kind of, you know, debate. And also when people say, you know, he only cares about football, he, he, if that's the case, go to the Fenerbahce board, go to whoever calls the shots at the football club and say, Let's come to an agreement then. I'll get out of it. I want to play football. He's a supremely talented footballer. But he but he doesn't want to do that. Just like he didn't want to do that at Arsenal. He didn't want to come to any sort of compromise earlier because he wanted to collect on the contract that he signed. And I, I kind of get that, right? I get that if you commit to something, um, you know, you, you want to be paid for it. And I totally understand that. But by that same token, he's not short of a few quid. And he could potentially reignite his football career, maybe elsewhere. I don't know, maybe go to the MLS, whatever it is that Mesut Ozil, you know, perhaps wants to do. I don't know. But I don't believe that he, like, I, I get the whole, of, you know, Fenerbahce is my childhood club. But I don't believe that he wants to be there so, so much that he's willing to just sit there and ride this out for the next three and a half years. Like, it just, it, it doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, um, you know, there's there's been a few incidents with him now and and you start to think that, Maybe, just maybe, Arsenal were correct in taking the action that they did. Okay, guys, uh, we're going to take some of your questions uh, for the last section of the show. So if you've got any, throw them in the chat. 
just while you do that, I want to quickly remind you that if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button and subscribe to the channel if you are new. Going to take a very, very short pause and be back with your questions. Okay, let's get back to it. Let's take this one from Ayoku, who says, Good morning, Harry. Greetings from Canada. Any update on Ossimen? Uh, no, not not that I'm aware of. I think that Victor Ossimen, as I've said to you guys before, is one that Arsenal are rumoured to be looking at, rumoured to be considering. But I think that this is one that's going to be really, really difficult to achieve because of who we're dealing with uh, in terms of Napoli and their current owner. Now, I don't doubt that Victor Ossimen would see this as an attractive proposition, a route into the Premier League um, and, and an opportunity to earn a, a lot of money, more money than he's currently earning at Napoli, I'm sure. But as I say, I think that this is going to be one that if you're going to do it, you're going to need to pay, I don't know, 70, 80 million pounds. And, and I don't believe that, for example, if you're talking Gabriel Jesus at like 30, 35 million, let's say for argument's sake, I don't think there's, I don't think Victor Osimhen is double as good a striker as him to justify that premium that you're going to have to pay. So again, maybe I'm thinking too much from a business perspective. Maybe I think too much from a financial perspective. And perhaps we do need that big, 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 um, you know, that that big marquee signing, that big statement signing to really get the uh, the majority of the fans on side. But no, I'm not paying. I wouldn't pay that sort of money for Victor Osimhen. I think he's very, very well suited to Serie A. I've watched a lot of him this season. I think he brings a lot to that Napoli side. But as I always say about players making that move from Serie A to the Premier League, the physical advantages that some of these players have in the Serie A don't disappear when they come to the Premier League, but they do diminish in terms of their effectiveness, i.e. Romelu Lukaku. In this area, he could bully everybody. He could outpace everybody. He was bigger and stronger than everybody. And he'd come to the Premier League and it's not worked out for a number of reasons. But all of a sudden, that physicality that was so prominent in his game when he played in Italy is no longer as much an advantage in the Premier League as it was there. And I think that a lot of what Osimhen has um, would be sort of nullified as well. Uh, by the the move to the Premier League, so good striker. I'd obviously welcome him if he came, but eighty million pounds, seventy five million pounds, which is around about what I think it's going to take to get him out of Napoli, just feels too excessive for me. Um, let's take uh, this one from Halo Mateus, who says there are so many players that have run their contracts down this summer. Something that we're going to see a lot more of, by the way, over the coming years, I believe. I think Arsene Wenger was right to predict this, that players would decide that actually rather than saying, um, yes, yeah, sell me, I'll run down my contract and I'll collect the signing on fee, which goes into mine and my representative's pockets and my family's pockets as opposed to letting the clubs exchange those huge transfer fees. Uh, but Halo says there are so many players out of contract, players like Tarkovsky, Tolisso, Sice, Romagnoli, De Chilio. I think several of these players would strengthen Arsenal. I think some of them might strengthen Arsenal in terms of adding a bit of depth, but there's not one name in that list, mate, that jumps out to me and is one that I think we definitely have to do, like... Tarkovsky, someone we've been linked with in the past, not 100% sure on him. Corentin Taliso, don't know. Uh, Sais, not sure. Romagnoli promised so much in his early career and, and, and for me hasn't hasn't really. I don't know. I, I just, I, I'm not not massively sold on Romagnoli. And De Chilio, feels like he's been around for an age. But again, it's a squad player. It's a depth player. And that's, that's about it. Um, Steve says, I have seen many posts criticising Arsenal for being slow bringing players in. Seeing as the window doesn't open till the 10th, do you feel that the criticism is premature? I think it's most of the time it's, it comes prematurely during transfer windows because people seem to overlook the complexity of some of these deals and the, the, the value of these deals and what needs to be done in the background to facilitate them. So, yeah, I think if you're criticising it now before the window's even opened, then you need to give your head a wobble like, what are you doing? It's not physically possible to complete a transfer. It's possible to announce that one has been agreed. And, and it's much more easier to do that when you're talking about free agents, like in Spurs' case with Perisic. But yeah, people just need to chill a little bit. It's a long, old summer. 
Uh, Raz says, how many players do you think will sign this window? If I had to guess, I'm going to say four. Um, that's what I think we're, we're probably going to do. And I'd rather four than six or seven, but four of a, of a high calibre. Um, I think that's important now. It's about quality, not quantity necessarily. Uh, Maxim says, would you use Martinelli as a third choice striker? I'd like to keep him as an option for that, but I think we need a specialist striker. I, I still don't see Gabby Martinelli as a uh, specialist striker. Um, what else have we got? Let's pick up a couple more. Uh, Faris says, is Jonathan David still a target for us? And that talk has gone a little bit quiet, hasn't it? Um, I, again, like you've got to be so careful with these rumours and stories because a lot of the time they are coming from, um, you know, just just hearsay. And 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 that's the thing. You, you can't get too attached. Often we'll hear that we're, we're in advanced negotiations with a player that we didn't even know was on our radar. That's just the way football works. Um, I don't know that he's not, but I also don't hear much that suggests that he's at the top of the list uh, at all. Uh, Kingsley Opara says, hi, Harry, how do you feel about Perisic? The Spurs kind of touched on this a little bit earlier on, but I guess my my overriding thoughts on this are that he's an Antonio Conte signing and he'll probably fit into their system really, really well. Um, I don't know that I'd have done this deal if I were Spurs, if this was one that required a, a hefty transfer fee. The fact that it was a free transfer obviously makes appeal. Um, and the only thing they're risking is the wages. But given his history with Conte, given that the role he clearly plays very well and the system that Tottenham work with, I think he's a good fit. I do. And um, if I were a Spurs fan, I'd be quite happy with that signing. Uh, Christian says, one pair of signings, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Gnabry or Jesus and Gakpo. Pick one. Uh, see, I'd rather Gnabry over Gakpo, but I'd rather Jesus over DCL. So if I'm going to have to pick one, I'm going to pick Jesus and Gakpo as a, as a duo over Calvert-Lewin and Gnabry just because I'm actually really sort of big on on the thing that I don't think Calvert-Lewin is the guy now. Uh, what else have we got? Um, we've got some people... Listen, put your questions in. I will get to as many as I can, but please don't post the same question like 15 times. It gets so, um, so confusing. Uh, what else have we got in the chat? My God, it is popping off. Um, Christian says, Haha, I made it tough. You did, you did. Um, Arthur says, Uh, comment this is a comment from Uganda. What striker and midfielder do you want? Oh, what if I had a, a, a clean slate, if I could pick whoever, I don't know, based on the people that we've been linked with, I'd quite like if we got Jesus and Tielemans in, I'd be quite happy with that at this moment in time. And that's based on the ones that we're, we're being linked with, right? I'm not going to sort of go down rabbit holes of players that we literally have no chance of signing. But yeah, um, those are probably the two I would pick. Uh, Jabu says, uh, hi, Harry, just joined. Do you think we need a Partey alternative if he gives us 15 games a season? Surely we need a capable challenger. Absolutely. We need to add in that midfield area. It's so, so important because just like with Kieran Tierney, Thomas Partey's proven himself a player that we can't really rely on. And, and that's a problem. It's really hard to build a team and, and get consistency and, and stuff without having those, you know, constant figures in there. And I, I do believe that had, okay, Tommy Asu was in and out towards the end of the season. I, I do believe that if Partey and Tierney didn't pick up those injuries, Arsenal would have finished in the top four and quite comfortably. I think that was the difference. I think it made a big difference. Uh, according to Build, Bayern have increased their contract offer to Serge Gnabry. He'll be earning between 17 to 19 million euros a year if he signs the new deal. Can Arsenal offer a salary on that level? I believe we can. I do. Um, and, and again, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. That's the importance of clearing the decks. That's why it's important to not have an overloaded squad. And we've had that for many, many years. Mikel Arteta stripped it right back. You'd rather have slightly fewer players, but players of a higher calibre, because ultimately they're the guys that make the difference. And, um, and I do think Arsenal could probably match what Bayern are doing in terms of salary, whether they'd want to on Serge Gnabry um, specifically as an individual remains to be seen. But I don't think that money is is Arsenal's biggest problem right now. I think what's a bigger problem for Arsenal is the fact that we're not in the Champions League and, and the appeal 
you know, that we have as a result of that. Now, I'm not saying there's no appeal. I'd be contradicting myself based on what I said earlier. I still think Arsenal as a football club have a huge appeal. But that Champions League factor does put others slightly ahead of us. I think the fact that we can offer London life and a route into the Premier League puts us into uh, a very good position as well. Because London, if you've got money, is an incredible place to live. For for those that are struggling, and, and I've been there, you know, London is not um, the greatest place because everything is so bloody expensive and, you know, travel's expensive and, and going out to eat is expensive and going for a coffee is expensive and everything is expensive. But if you've got the pockets of a Premier League footballer, then you can have a, a hell of a time in London. And I think that appeals uh, appeals to a lot of people as well. Right, look, we're going to uh, leave it there. Um, we've been going for over an hour now. Thank you all so, so much for coming back to the show. And apologies again for the fact that I took a couple of days out. There won't be any more of those. We'll be uh, coming with you, um, you know, every day now. Uh, throughout the summer, bringing you the latest stories, bringing you the latest news, and we'll be chucking in some additional content as well. Uh, There's lots and lots to keep us uh, talking and chatting over the summer. And uh, I will catch you all very, very soon. Enjoy uh, your long weekend. I will be bringing you a show tomorrow um, at some point, but enjoy your long weekend here in the UK. uh, We've got the Thursday, the Friday off uh, to celebrate the Queen's Jubilee, 70 years on the throne. Uh, so we'll be uh, we'll be enjoying some time off here in England, of course. Um, but if you're anywhere else in the world, hope you have a nice couple of days as well and a good weekend. Don't worry, the content is going to keep coming and I'll catch you all very, very soon with more. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.